looks like I have graduated to the round table. I went from I went from a elementary school saxophone player to a knight of the round table this morning. And I'm very thankful for that. I hope y'all are doing well this morning. I'm Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here. And we are in our second week of a two-week series. Isn't, isn't that funny how it works? So second week of a two-week series. So we're going to be finishing up today. But last week, if you weren't here, I just want to catch you up really quick as best we can. Last week, we actually are in the Psalms for these two weeks. And we're in the Psalms for multiple reasons. But one is because I think it's a refreshing breath for us to kind of stop and take a moment to reflect upon the Psalms. Not only that, but I also think that the Psalms that we're looking at are going to be vital to even the next season in my life, maybe the next season in your life. So last week, we were actually in Psalms 20, Psalm 23. I'm going, to, I'm going to put a challenge out there. I actually put it out here to our Glen Mary ladies last week. As a church, do we think we can get all the way through Psalm 23 without seeing the words? Are you ready? I'll start us off. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Makes me lie down in green pastures. Path of righteousness for his name's sake. Shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For your rod, they comfort me. Yeah. Keep going. Oil. My cup over. My goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Great job. Maybe a few words here and there, right? A few, a few small phrases that we missed. That's okay. I encourage you. That's, that is a great chapter uh, to begin to memorize. And the reason is, is because it can provide for you so much hope. It describes to us who God is and God's relationship to us. It shows us how God views us, the perspective that he has of us and the things that he is to us. Last week, our main understanding from week one was no matter what you face in life, you can take comfort in God's guidance, his goodness and his grace. We looked at how God guides us, right? That he leads me beside still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me on the path of righteousness. He guides us in even difficult places. We talk about his goodness how he's been good even in the midst of evil. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, when evil surrounds us, we know that God is good and he protects us. And then we finally looked at the grace of God, the fact that he has invited us to his table, even in the presence of our enemies, even in the presence of the difficulties going around, we can rest in the things that he's invited us into, into his table because of the grace that he has. So that's where we were last week. We got a broad picture of who God is. We got a broad picture of God as shepherd and that we can trust God. That's kind of where we landed last week. This week, we're going to look at what our response should be to that. As sheep, as people following after God, what does that look like in our life? What in the world does it look like to follow a God of goodness, of grace, of guidance? What does it look like? to follow a God who, who is those things. And so today I'm going to go ahead and give you our main understanding for this morning. 
And I just want you to write it down and we're gonna reference it all day today. And it's really simple yet can be very complex. It's this, our response to God, our shepherd must be twofold. We must react with praise and obedience. Our response to God, our shepherd must be twofold. We must react with praise and obedience, all right? We have a correct understanding of who God is. We get that he guides us, that he's good and he's full of grace and he gives those things to us, that he is our shepherd. We understand that. So what should our life look like now? And that's what we're gonna be talking about today. I had a professor in college, he had a really simple prayer and it was one that I've kind of started using in my life and I'd love to share it with you today. It's, it's simple and it may seem funny, but I think it's really profound the times that I've been able to recite it and think of it in my life. It goes like this. It's basically three short sentences or four short sentences. Lord, you are God. You are in control. I am not. And that's okay. Lord, you are God. You are in control. I am not, and that's okay. You see, even in my life, especially in my life, the times in which I really trust the Lord are the times in which I understand that I am not in control. It's the times in which I understand that the things that I would move myself into if it were up to me would not be the things that God has pushed me towards. It would not be the things that God has guided me towards. And I've got to trust that he is God and he is in control. And not only do I have to trust that, I have to be on board with that and okay with that. And so as we begin today, I just want to pray that prayer over us today. As we all just sit here in simplicity of understanding God of who he is and who we are, I want to just pray that prayer today that God, you are God. You are in control. I am not. And that is okay. It's okay that you're God and I'm not. And it's okay that you're in control and I'm not. And I surrender those things to you. So as we begin, I'd just love to read through this first, um, just the whole chapter, and then we can dive in a little deeper after we read through it all. Psalm 95, it starts like this. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at at Meribah on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. 
Therefore, I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest. It's an interesting passage, and it has a lot of different complexities about it. I think we enjoy the Psalms because we can open our Bibles and we can look at the words and we can read them pretty clearly and feel like we can get an understanding of what a psalmist is saying in in particular Psalms. But the hard part, I think, for us in looking at Psalms is understanding the complexity of application in our lives. Does that make sense? The, The words may be easy to read and they may be easy to understand, to grasp a concept that's trying to be told. But the difficult part is coming when we have to apply that into our lives and figure out how in the world praise and obedience applies to us. So I would love to do that today. So the first thing that we're going to look at is that we must react with praise. We already see that who God is as our shepherd, our response. We must react with praise, right? In that first set of verses, you see this. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. I think it's interesting here that even in the first couple of verses, it talks about a a constant phrase, a joyful noise to the Lord, making a joyful noise to the Lord. If I were to start singing up here, most of you would not describe it as a joyful noise. But what the Lord desires in a joyful noise, what we know of the Lord is it's not about mouth service at all. It's about our hearts. And a joyful joyful noise that we make towards the Lord doesn't come from our lips, but it comes from our hearts. What we know is out of our mouths come the overflow of our hearts. The things that you say, the things that you speak into existence for any reason, it comes from the overflow of the very being, the very core of who you are. It comes from that place, the very center of your soul, your heart. And so when it talks about making a joyful noise to the Lord, many of us think of a setting like this. On a Sunday morning, gathered together with other believers, being led in worship by others so that we could sing the words that are on the screen. And although that is worship, and you can and are able to make a joyful noise in that place, I don't think that that is the the total pattern of praise that God is desiring from us. I think the total pattern of praise that God desires in our life is not something that happens on Sunday mornings. It's not something that happens when we happen to turn the radio on and know a song and and sing along to it. It's It's a perspective on our life that no matter what comes, we are gonna offer ourselves to the Lord in praise. We are going to offer our very beings with our mouths, with our hearts, with our actions. Everything that we have, we are going to bring to the altar of the Lord. And we are going to praise him with every part of our being. We are going to make a joyful noise to the Lord with our lives. That's the worthy sacrifice. That's the thing that God is desiring. That's the joyful noise that he's, that he's asking for it's the, it's the loud speakerphone of our lives. It's the words that come out of our mouth when we're stuck in I-40 traffic trying to get out of town like everyone else at 5 o'clock 
It's the things that we say to our wives after we've had tough days and the house is dirty and they've had tough days and kids are screaming and you don't know what to do and you lash out in anger. That anger didn't just come from nowhere. It came from deep within your heart. For us to be able to be people of praise, for us to be able to be people that make a true joyful noise to the Lord, we have to be a people surrendered to his guidance. We have to be a people surrendered to understanding what he desires from us. And what does he desire? We talked about it last week. I think a broken and contrite heart is what he desires. He desires for us to fling our whole selves upon his altar and surrender everything that we have and submit it to him. That's his desire. That's how we begin to make a joyful noise. The next set of verses says, for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. What a claim that the psalmist is making here. What a claim. The Lord is a great God and he is a great king above all gods. See, for, for the Israelites, the people of Israel, this, this term king is, is a huge implication. They, they wanted a king for as long as they could remember. For, from the time that they had been brought to the promised land, they, they begin yearning for this earthly king, this person to be you know, raised up so that they could, they could exalt him and he could lead them. They had a desire for a king of their people. And what many of us don't realize is, I think we yearn for some of those things in our life as well, but we have a king. They had a king. And their king is not only just the king of the people, he is the king above all things, above all gods. And so this is the implication that the psalmist is making here. And you go, oh, hold on. How, can, how in the world can you make that claim? That God is king of all, that he's worthy. And you go later in the next set of verses and you see this. It's almost like they put God on trial and say, is he worthy of worship? Is he worthy of praise? And Psalm, Psalm 95.4 tells us this. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his. For he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. In the depths of the earth are in his hand. Anybody know where the deepest part of the earth is? Any idea? Anybody? You say it. Mariana Trench, right? Anybody have any idea how deep the Mariana Trench is? Roughly about 1,500 miles, all right? It'd be like getting in, uh, getting in your car today and driving to Las Vegas. And by the time that you got there, that is how deep the deepest part of the ocean is, right? To give you context, if you were to take Mount Everest and shove the peak of Mount Everest into the bottom of the Mariana Trench, the, there would be a mile of sea left covering the mountain. That's a deep, deep place. And what we see here from scripture is that that very depth of the earth is in God's hand. It's in his hand. Do you understand 
the bigness of our God. The thing that we could never comprehend, the deepest part of the earth that we could never explore on our own without the help of multiple other things, that very depth, that very darkness, I think it's something like at um, close to a thousand miles that uh, maybe a little bit less, but light no longer affects the surface of the water. It's complete darkness. And so you're talking about a deep and a dark place just in this world. And yet that very place is the place that's right in the center of God's hand. It makes sense now why in Psalm 23 you see that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That makes sense, right? Because even in that valley, you are in the palm of God's hand. He is with you. Even in the darkest and the deepest parts of this world. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed dry land. It's basically saying like this world that you have around you that you live in and that you gain resources from and that you buy and sell and trade and work in and live in, like this whole world is his. It's his possession. And it is literally in the palm of his hand. He made it. He created it. Why should you worship him if for no other reason? Because of his great power and his great might. That this is what he has done. He is able and he is powerful. It goes on to tell us, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. I'm reminded, I think of, uh, we talked about it even a, a few weeks ago in our mission series, the the look of Isaiah, right, in, in chapter 6 where he sees this great vision of God. And the only thing that he can do is realize, Lord, like, I have nothing to offer. And I don't even need to be here because I'm not holy enough. I don't even need to be in this place. I'm not worthy. I have to bow down. I have to understand and respect the, the position that God is in. He is in this position of worship. He's in this position of praise for he is our Lord. He is our maker. I always get the question. I think the question is fascinating. The, what are you going to ask God when you get to heaven? What's the first thing you're going to say? You know, and I think that's a, a really funny question anyways, but I always think about in revelation with John, when he first sees in the vision of the Lord, what does he do? He falls down. He can't even speak. Why? Because God is so great and he's reigning on his throne. And he is a king above all kings. He's a God above all gods. He's the name above all names. And everything that John thought was important, the questions or things that he had to say, which I'm sure were ton and, and ton of things that he wanted to talk about, slowly became unimportant because they faded away in the brightness and the magnitude of who God was. That is the God that you worship. That's the God that we worship. It's a God of greatness. It's a God of power. It's a God of magnitude. 
if we go on, we can see um, this. So we, we know that we must react in praise. But another aspect is we must react in obedience. We understand that praise isn't just something that happens on Sundays. It just isn't something that happens uh, every now and then when we decide to sing along to a song. Praise is something that, that happens in those moments, but also happens throughout our lives in the very being, the worship that we bring forth to the Lord is praise. And the other thing that he tells us is we must react in obedience. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, I think that I convince myself that I'm good at the praise part, I'm bad at the obedience part. But really, what I've come to learn is if I'm not good at the obedience part, I'm not good at the praise part. Because obedience in itself is an act of worship. It is an act of praise to the Lord. When we obey, when we listen to the things of God, it is a very, uh, it's a very concrete way for us to worship God. If we go on to this next set of verses, you'll see this. For he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. So it's saying this very God who is big, who is, who is worthy of praise just because of his willingness to create us, his willingness to create this world, his, his mighty works that he is able to hold the, literally hold the whole world in his hands. He is our God. He's our God. He is your God. That God is your God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Remember when we talked about the very hand that that is able to hold the depths of the earth? We are the people of that hand of God. You want to know why you're never, ever, ever going to be able to outrun the love, the grace, the power, the might of God. It's because wherever you run, you are going to be in his hand. You're the people of his pasture. To say it simply, you're playing ball on his field. And no matter if you're striking out, hitting home runs or whatever you're doing, you are still on his field. You are still within his grasp. You are still in this life according to his rules and his power and his ways. And that may be crazy to some of us to think about that, that, that this great God is focused on even us. It blows my mind. We were actually in small group last week. And one of the things that we're talking about in our marriage study was the fact that this great God at any moment in our lives is with us and he cares about even the small moments. He cares about even the small things. And, you know, if Audrey and I get in a fight in our bathroom or whatever, I don't know why we would get in a fight in the bathroom. (laughs) Probably because she's like, this shower is disgusting. You need to clean it. Um, She's going to kill me for that anyway. (laughs) Our showers aren't gross, I promise. Um, But if we, you know, (laughs) you can come to my house anytime, okay? (laughs) 
We love to have visitors. Um, we'll put you to work. Uh, anyway, so you look at, even in that moment, right? Even in this small moment between a, a man and his wife, a man and a woman in a, in a marital relationship, on any given day, in any single room, in a house, in a small city, in a neighborhood, in a city, in a, in a state, in a country, in a hemisphere, in a world that's in a universe, and God is there. That, that's another kind of intimacy that I don't understand. This great God who is big enough to hold the whole universe in his hand cares enough to be in that moment with me. And he cares enough to be in that moment with you. You see, what I've learned in my life is obedience does not come usually from our acknowledgement of the greatness of God. It doesn't. It doesn't. Because if, you, if we go on, you'll see this. It says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Messiah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. You see, the people of Israel had, had seen God at work. They had seen the great things that God could do. It wasn't a matter of they didn't understand his greatness. This was a God who had brought these very people out of Egypt by the work of his hand. Right, who had, who had done great miracles to release these people from the Egyptians, who had parted the Red Sea by using Moses. They had seen all these things. They had seen God continue to provide and continue to provide. They had seen his greatness at work in ways in which you and I would say, oh my gosh, like I would believe, I would follow, I would obey. But what began to happen? As they wondered, as they looked for where they were supposed to go. They would go to many different places and they would have needs. They would be hungry. They would be thirsty. As a matter of fact, in this particular place in Rephidim, R-E-P-H-I-D-I-M, the people were looking at Moses and they said, we have no water. We have nothing to drink. Is God even with us? Does he even care for us? Is he, is he even real? Is he even around? Is he even our God? And what happens is Moses goes before the Lord and he says, Lord, these people are doubting you and your power and your greatness. Please show them what you can do. And, Mo, and God gives Moses specific instructions about how to bring forth water in this place. And once he does, the people are excited, they begin to praise again, but the damage had been done because God had seen that these people who he continually gave himself to and gave himself to and gave himself to, continually showed himself to and showed himself to and showed himself to, continued to highlight his great power and his great work. Even these people at the end of the day, wouldn't obey from just seeing the greatness of God. Why? Because they did not understand that beginning of verse 7 and verse 8. Today, if you hear his voice, 
do not harden your hearts. I can tell you time and time again in my life, multiple times actually, where I've clearly heard God telling me to do something, to be something, to act in a certain way, um, to obey in areas that he's called me to. And what I realized is the more that I turn from those times, the more that I disobey in those areas and the more that I ignore his voice, then the next time that he calls, the easier it is to run. I remember a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> I was at, this is a really interesting story, I guess. I was, we were at Fresh Market and um, we were there. By the way, Tuesdays at Fresh Market, that's the jam. If you get a chance to go there, chicken and ground beef for real cheap, you gotta do that. Anyway, we were there. We were buying our meat for the week. And uh, I, we parked next to this lady, and she had about five kids in the car. And they were all doing their homework in the car. And they were, um, there was a baby in a crib, or a, in a baby, uh, in a, man, I can't believe I'm going to be a parent one day. And I don't even know, in a car seat. Um, and they were in this car. And I didn't think much of it before, but when we came back out, they were still there. And the car was running. And. It looked like they were kind of settling into this place. And I just remember this like tug at my heart, like what, like you need to do something. And I was like, God, I don't know what to do. Like, how do I do this? What do I do? And so I remember I pulled out of the parking lot. If if you can imagine this area, right? Right at Cooper and Union Avenue. I pulled onto Cooper and I get to the red light and I'm in the middle lane that was gonna go straight to head back to my house. And I just remember like sitting there and I just, this overwhelming, Jordan, what are you doing? Like I'm asking you to check in with this lady. You don't know her from Adam. You don't know who she is, but I'm asking you to do this. And I remember sitting there and thinking, if I run through this light right now, I know without a shadow of a doubt, it'll be disobedient. I know it in my heart, in my very being, I know It'll be a moment of disobedience. So I sat there and Audrey's just, she's chatting and she doesn't know like this struggle that's going on inside of me, you know? And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, what do I do? And finally, I just remember just yanking the steering wheel right when it turned green, almost getting in a car accident right there. It was awful. But I remember I said, I just got to do something. She's like, okay, all right. And we pull back in the parking lot and she's like, did you forget something? I said, no, I didn't forget anything. I've got, to, I've got to check in with this lady. And I remember going up to her uh, vehicle and I just looked at her and I said, ma'am, I was parked next to you. I saw that you had the kids in the car. Like, are you okay? Like, is there any way that, how can I help? Is there something wrong? Like, do you, do you need anything? And amazingly, she said, no, I'm just waiting for my husband. He's inside. He's just working, right? There was nothing at all wrong in the situation. But what I know without a shadow of doubt is that God wanted me to care in that moment about that person. He wanted me to check and to see and to love that person. And it was a moment in my life of obedience that thankfully I can say I really listened. There's probably five other instances where it's different, but that was a moment where I was able to just be thankful 
that the Lord had called me to do something, I'd said yes. Because in those moments, you can walk away and say, you know what? My life is a life that's, that praises the Lord. My life is a life that's in obedience to what the Lord desires and what the Lord commands. My life is a life that is um, given over and surrendered to him. There's a, a quote from just an awesome dude in history. If, if you don't know anything about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, just encourage you to look it up. He's just an amazing, amazing guy. He um, worked hand in hand uh, during World War II um, to bring peace about and to um, just preach the good news of, of the gospel. He says this in his book, Cost of Discipleship. He said, only he who believes is obedient. And only he who is obedient believes. Only he who believes is obedient. The act of belief on God is an act of obedience. But only he he, who is obedient believes. Meaning, if all that you're offering to God is lip service, but your life has not been changed and transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the transforming grace and power of Jesus Christ, then you need to really seriously evaluate if you truly believe in who God is. And if you've allowed him to guide your life. If your life doesn't resemble a desire for consistent obedience to the Lord, then today I pray that you will take seriously the call of Christ. Now, I cannot be obedient on my own. You cannot be obedient on your own. It's not something that you can just walk through the door and flip the switch on. It is the very act. It is the very power. It is the very work of God. He has enabled you to be obedient only through the work and the finished product of Jesus in his life, death, resurrection. And through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. The only way you're going to be able to be obedient to the Lord, to live a life worthy of praise, is if you're surrendering your, surrendering your life over to the majesty, to the, to the glory of the Lord and the Holy Spirit. You're not going to be able to do it on your own. You're not going to be able to mimic enough good things to fool enough people to make it work. It's what we talk about all the time here. It is a heart issue. And when we say it's a heart issue, we mean it's a core issue to who you are. Your very words and your very actions, everything that you are represents who you are. And if you find yourself consistently walking in disobedience to the Lord with no conviction of who he is, no, no conviction of what you're doing. I encourage you today, lay that down at his feet. Lay that down. It's time. 
There's a reason in these set of verses that the psalmist says, today, 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 if the Lord calls, if you hear his voice today, don't harden your heart. Don't ignore what he's saying. Today, it may be something tiny. It may be something small. It may be a total redirection of what your life looks like. But today, today, if you hear his voice, listen. Listen to what he's trying to tell you. Listen to what he's saying. Because it's not just some voice, it's the voice. It's the very voice of God. This grandiose, beautiful, magnificent God that has chosen to be intimately intertwined in every little bit of your life. Listen to his voice. Because you'll see as we end, it says this in the last set of verses. Because of what happened at Meribah and Messiah, it says, for 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. And he's talking specifically in this context about the people of Israel not being able for a generation, not being able to enter into the promised land. This promised place of rest that God had given over to these Israelites, but because of their disobedience, because of the very nature of their lives and their disobedience and doubt of God, he, the whole generation, he, he kept away from the promised land. You see, we don't have a, a promised land like that per se. But we do have promises of God. We do have a promised future. We do have a promised hope. We do have promised peace and promised joy. And ultimately, we have a promised place in, in eternity for communion, in, in, in community with God himself. That is a promise from God. You and I may not be wandering in the desert looking for a land in which God is bringing us to, but we are in a place where God has promised many things to you and to me. He has promised his self. He has promised his relationship. He's promised his intimacy forever with us. He has promised a new kingdom. He has promised a brighter day. And to be honest with, just with everything in this world as it goes today, I mean, all I can think about when I was thinking about this is <laughs> we're so caught up on slogans of make America great again or, or whatever in this political landscape. And we have our focus on this promised future of our country by men or women that, that are contending for that. 
And I just think how easy it is for me to get caught up and see that as the end all be all for the hope of my life. When the truth is the promises of God go way past the promises of any politician. The promises of God go way further than any great economy that we could ever have or safety and security that we could ever have in our country. Do I want to see those things happen? Absolutely. But my focus in my life, our focus as a church should be ahead. Because the promises of God are ahead of us. And we need to walk confidently in those things and obediently in them. You may say, that's hard. Yeah, it's hard. It's difficult. There are things in my life that I fail at every day. There are things in my job that I fail at every day. Can I get an amen, Robbie? No. (laughs) There are things that I struggle with. There are things that I, there's a tension, even in my heart, a war between who God's called me to be and who Jordan himself desires to be apart from the Lord. But we have promises of the Lord. One of those promises that I just love to think about as we end is, as we look at this idea of rest, I don't think it's any coincidence that when Jesus was calling the disciples, when Jesus was starting his ministry, one of the things that we see in Matthew, I think it's chapter 11, he says these words. He says, come to me, any who are weary and heavy laden, for I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Today, today, come to him. Maybe you're in that valley, that dark, deep trench. Maybe you're on that mountaintop, convinced that you have gained all the things that this world has to offer. Maybe you've decided that on your own, you can do all things within your power. Today, today, everybody today, don't harden your hearts when you hear the Lord's voice. When he's saying, come to me, lay it down. Let me carry it. Rest in me. Find the peace and the joy that you need in me. For my yoke, it's easy. And my burden is light. Come to me. Let me carry it. You're my sheep, the very people of my pastor. Come to me. Trust me. For I'm the Lord, this great king, this good shepherd. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, within the sound of my voice, there are people that are hurting. There are people that feel hopeless. 
there are people that are struggling with this very tension of, of trusting in you, of giving over and surrendering their lives to you. God, within the sound of my voice, there are people that are celebrating the joys of life. Celebrating the joys that you've given, the the things that you've handed over to them. God, within the sound of my voice, there are people that have no clue if they can trust you. They have no understanding of a relationship with you. God, within the sound of my voice, there are people here that have been in a relationship with you for so long that they have forgotten the joy of praise. They have forgotten the joy of obedience. God, within the sound of my voice, there are people longing to see your face. Longing to know you more intimately. Longing to worship you more fully. Longing to praise you consistently and walk in obedience. God, within the sound of my voice, there are people in this place today that need to just drop the things that they are carrying in your lap. God, to wipe their hands of them and to say, Lord, I cannot do it on my own any longer. But it is only, only through you and your goodness. Only through your guidance that I'm going to be able to make it. God, you are a great God. For all these types of people, God, you are able to work, you are able to see, you are able to touch, you are able to speak into their lives. God, we invite you into this place to continue to fill our hearts with your thoughts. God, continue to fill our minds with the things that you desire. God, we pray that you would speak to us clearly in this place now. God, and that when you speak, we would not just simply hear you, but do nothing. We would not harden our hearts. We would not ignore you. But God, we would open ourselves up to you. God, that we would embrace the things that you have for us. Because our response to you has to be one, a life of praise and a life of obedience. And God, we cannot do that on our own. We have to have your strength and your power. God, come and transform our lives. Continue to work in our hearts. God, give us the strength that we need to move out of the places that you've called us out of. God, give us the hope that we need to to take the next step. God, give us the joy as we walk in accordance with your ways. God, give us the faith to be more like you to surrender the things that we think we control to the things that we know that you own. Lord, we are not God. Lord, you are in control. And that's okay. It's in your great and your wonderful name that we pray. Amen.